It's a huge blessing and honor to be with you all this morning. As Andrew mentioned, I live in Southern California up until a little over a year ago, uh, which means I'm a wimp when it comes to weather dropping below 50 degrees and coffee and vitamin D got me through last winter. I'll also say I'm happy to be with you all in this beautiful Washington summer. If you were here with us last week, Travis spoke about God's response to fear. In Acts 9, Ananias, a follower of Jesus, was honest with God about his fear of approaching and helping Saul. I love how Travis puts it. Ananias is forever the guy who helped bring Saul, one of the most influential leaders in the history of the church, into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's the very aspect of Saul's life and our life as Christians we're looking at today, our saving relationship with Jesus Christ, or as I've titled it, A Life Reconciled. And before I give you the classic three main points, I want to remind us that our life with God is founded and based on this key event, the death and resurrection of Jesus, which, Saul, which reconciled Saul, you, and me into relationship to the one and true living God. Being reconciled means that Jesus has restored our relationship with God. So for all you note takers, we're going to look at three things God makes new when he reconciles you to him. Number one, a new certainty two, a new family, and three, a new mission. If you want to follow along, there's also these headers in your bulletin, which I believe is in the link in the chat. So before we jump into those, let's set the scene. And to do so, I have a story. I was leaving my apartment in La Mirada, California, walking down the hallway of the second story when everything went black. Panicking, I started to get picked up by three, maybe four men. I couldn't tell because I just had a bag thrown over my head, making me blind to my surroundings. They bound my hands behind my back and carried me down the stairs where they put me in the back of a car. We rode for probably about 20, maybe 30 minutes, but it really felt like an hour. All whilst I was trying to feel what turns they were taking and which way on the freeway we were, estimating how far we'd gone. We arrived at their destination and I was guided out of the car, tripping over what seemed to be curb stops. They ripped off the bag and over my head, the sign above me read, Fountain Valley Skating Center. <laughs> the date was December 2nd, my birthday, and my friends had kidnapped and surprised me with a skate night with my friends and family. I knew it was my friends before the bag was put over my head, but how else am I supposed to keep your attention on Zoom? So here we have Saul, who had just had the scales fall off his eyes. He had been blinded, remember? In addition to it all, Luke, the author of Acts, records that in addition to being blind, Saul did not eat or drink anything for those three days. So I was blindfolded for 30 minutes, and I knew it was my friends, and I still felt disoriented. And Saul was blind for three days, stripped of food and comfort, and had come to face to face with the Jesus he had openly oppressed. So here you have Saul, who before was blind, starving, depending on others to keep him alive. And now he's full of the spirit of food and can see. But we'll soon read that this wouldn't be the end of Saul's dependence on others. Now that he knows that Jesus is the son of God, Saul has a new certainty, bringing us to point one. Read with me in verses nine through 22. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem and of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. 
God gives Saul this new certainty that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Saul essentially went, went around saying, listen, you've heard of Jesus. I know with assurance that he is the son of God. It's important to remember that this wasn't a theological debate in between someone and Saul. It was an experience with Christ. I know what you're thinking. Well, of course Saul was certain. Jesus appeared to him in a vision. I would be certain too if that happened to me. But God gives us what we need to be certain. It's always our choice to receive him. Remember that there were people who witnessed Jesus' miracles and still shouted at Pilate to crucify him. Saul needed a vision because he was certain that Christianity was a threat to God. Because you've got to be so sure that someone is such a threat that you believe down deep in your bones that it's worth killing. A month or two ago, we looked at the life of Stephen, the first martyr. Acts 7, 58 through 59 records this event, and I read, the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So Saul was certain that this Jesus guy, who Stephen proclaimed was a threat to everything, and in many ways he was, but we'll get to that in just a little bit, so hang tight. Saul went from certainty as a Pharisee to certainty as a follower. Saul is radically transformed and now a servant of Jesus and is willing to deny his nature, his stature, his power, his pride. And he was willing to look like a fool in the eyes of many because he was certain that Jesus was serious about who he says he is. Out of this certainty of Jesus, Saul's only reasonable response was to proclaim his name, to follow him and obey him, whatever the cost. And this is how we know that Saul truly became a Christian. He truly became reconciled because he immediately spreads the word that Jesus is the son of God. And believing that statement has implications on every nook and cranny of your life. So is your life radically different because of Jesus? When it comes to the tensions in the world, in our country, you will look like what or who you serve. Saul lived unapologetically for Jesus, even when he received hatred on one side and disbelief on the other. To many, I'm 100% sure that Saul looked like a fool and very, very confusing. Saul within days was preaching what was unpopular and actually what some believed as heretical with his friends, coworkers, neighbors, and city. But he was preaching the word of Christ in which he had certainty that he could trust because he knew that Jesus was the son of God. So this immediate distaste from the Jews was just the beginning of the rest of his life and the rest of his ministry, as these were the people who persecuted them, him. However, along with this lifelong persecution came an eternal family of believers, which brings us to our second point, a new family. So go ahead and turn back into your Bibles, and we're going to read verse 23 through 27. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But, ha but his disciples took him by night and led him down an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid for of him, for they did not believe he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who had spoke to him, and how Damascus he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul's escape in the basket over the wall was only the first of many scrapes with death. For everyone, the joy of commitment to live for Christ is met with the pain of rejection from the world. 
In addition to Jewish opposition, the apostles were logically wary of Paul's conversion, and I don't blame them. Just a few days prior, Saul was, and I quote from Acts 9-1, still breathing threats and, threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So you better believe that they were afraid of him. If someone was breathing murder against me, fearful would just be the beginning, but not for Barnabas. Barnabas took him, a closer translation is took him by the hand as he puts his own relationship with his fellow apostles on the line. Fun fact, Barnabas in Hebrew means son of consolation or son of comfort, which is fitting because, there were, there, because where there was hostility and misunderstanding, Barnabas brought Saul and the apostles comfort by advocating for Saul because Barnabas judged Saul by his fruit. In our current culture, Christian persecution doesn't look like escaping death threats by a basket down a city wall, but I'm sure it's not comfortable to be a Christian. And I'm sure you've experienced that, especially in a city that glorifies the God itself, which is tough because we want to be accepted by the world. But the problem with this is that acceptance from the world will not be a good measurement of if we're being like Jesus. I want you to think about a situation where being a Christian has made you feel uncomfortable like a round peg in a square hole. For me, it's often with my family. I know that Christ has a radically different way than the solutions that they see in the media, hear from friends, or preach to themselves. Because I know with certainty that I serve a king who is redeeming all things in me and in this world, and I belong to him first, even when I ache for belonging with my family. And it looks like foolishness to my family to not put myself up on the throne of my own life. They poke fun at me, are patronizing when they talk about my job or the school I went to or for not living like they do. And even though I may not feel like I belong in my family all the time, because of my relationship with Jesus, I have eternal brothers and sisters in Christ who take me by the hand and encourage me, who remind me of who he is and who, and who I am because of who he is. So even though it's hard, it is love to be truthful to my family about our need for God's reconciliation. The reason that I don't give up on my family has been because I believe just like Saul that Jesus is the son of God and believing that has radically changed my life, my outlook, my goals, my priorities, my view of my body and how I treat my body, how I treat others and has illuminated the sanctity of life, the power of forgiveness and much, much more. My new family in Christ has reminded me that even when my interactions with my blood family are worse than I'd wished, that I'm called to stand firm in love. Because the greatest love my family can ever experience is not self-love, but an eternal, everlasting, forgiving, redeeming love from our Heavenly Father. So like Barnabas encouraged Saul, my new family encourages me. So how can we take our brothers and sisters by the hand? To answer this question, let's take a look at the third thing he makes new when we are reconciled to God in our mission. So verse 28 through 31. And I read, So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. But they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, see, the apostles are now brothers to Saul, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. 
and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and multiplied. So here we see Saul affirmed by the apostles and actively preaching in the city he knew so well. He especially preached uh, to the Hellenists who Saul used to be one of. Essentially, Saul lived unapologetically for Jesus, and then he went back to Tarsus, his home. We fill in after Saul's conversion that, boom, he became Paul, was an amazing Christian who immediately knew everything, jumped on a boat and sailed all around the Mediterranean, and then was imprisoned by week three of being a Christian. But by studying the chronology in Galatians, he remained in Tarsus for 10 years. So here's my question, why so long? My guess is that God had work to do in the Pharisee. This theology needed to go back through the lens of Jesus, through the lens of the gospel. That way, when he reappeared on the scene, he was ready. So a couple months ago here at Bethany, one of our pastors was approached um, by a woman who attends one of our locations. She was hesitant to ask for her pastor's counsel because she was unsure and afraid of where he stood in the current climate because her husband is a police officer, which is so sad to me because even if her husband had done terrible things, we follow Jesus who sought out Matthew, a tax collector who was hated and disowned by his own Jewish people, but was invited into Jesus's ministry, who healed the Roman soldier's ear after Peter, who thought his actions were justified, cut it off who sought out a murderous Pharisee, an enemy of every Christian, and used him to lead countless of people into relationship with God. That is the life we aim to follow. Now, Jesus will never lead you to endorse or justify sin. In every instance we see Jesus loving sinners, he point blank tells him to stop sinning and to follow him. But in our hate for sin, we've somehow closed off an entire group. I may not be popular in saying this, especially because I'm white, but I say this on the grounds of being your sister in Christ, that Christ's love isn't limited to one group of people or the other. So we need to treat police differently than the rest of Seattle and much of America. And this is going to sound foolish to those who don't know Jesus. If you want to confuse your neighbor, then love police too. Love the people whom you may consider your enemies and who also may be sitting on the Zoom call with you, who are tired and weary and who are looking for a brother or sister to take them by the hand. Just like Saul, you and I have a new mission and it's going to look foolish to the world. Saul, who is renamed later as Paul, speaks numerously about the truth that we will look like fools to the world. It will not make sense to the human heart that is sinful. The heart that strives for power, success, is bent towards narcissism and seeks revenge for the purpose of fair. Which if God was fair, we, he would not have sent his son. And are we not eternally grateful and eternally changed because God wasn't fair? It is not by his fairness that the Father sent his Son, but by his grace that Jesus died for our sins and conquered death. So that you and I have a renewed life with God, that you have a new certainty, a new family, and a new mission. So sorry. Saul, who we, knew, who we now know as the Apostle Paul, wrote epistles, founded churches, trained leaders, and assured that the future development of Christianity. He lived into his saving relationship with Jesus and abandoned a life that would make sense to his neighbor. He did this alongside his friends, his brothers and sisters in Christ, to name a few, Ananias, who we know, Barnabas, who we know, and later on Priscilla and Aquila, an awesome couple who lived alongside Paul for a little while, and Timothy, who became Paul's very best friend and travel partner. Your mission is just like the one of Paul, Barnabas, Timothy, 
Megan, Andrew, Eric, Denise, and Scott, and Julie, and Don, and Anne, and Stan. Wow, I did not mean to rhyme all those names. <laughs> and all the Christian in the entire history of the church. Your mission is to live for Jesus in community with others and to take your brothers and sisters by the hand in hopes that they do the same. So before we head out into breakout rooms, remember this. You can be certain that through Jesus you are reconciled, that these faces on Zoom are your brothers and sisters who are here to encourage you, to sharpen you, and who will stand for you and with you. And you're going to need them as they're going to need you because this new certainty gives you a new mission. Uh, Andrew, I think, I don't know if you've already posted in the breakout group, um, but he will if he hasn't already, um, the questions for our breakout chats. Um, and if you would like, I'm going to read them for you. The first one is, what activity are you certain everyone has to do in a Washington summer? Number two, where are you struggling to look like a fool for Christ? And number three, what does it look like to take your brothers and sisters by the hand? This week's breakout leader will be whoever's birthday is earliest in the year, so January 1st and so on. Um, let me just check. I think that's everything I need to remind you of. And then, yeah, 